and thank you for tuning in to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by this week's message as we all live to bring more of heaven to earth. God is good, man. I'm telling you this. I just... I have... I have... uh, the notes that I use for all my sermons, I've, I've collected them over the years. The title is Freedom. Just let you know that. It's like the Lord knew what was going to happen this morning, like, like He does. He's so faithful and He's so good. I really believe, my wife and I have been having dreams lately, and they've been kind of like the same kind of dreams. And... It's it kind of exciting because it's like the first time in our marriage that this has happened where we're having dreams around the same time and they're they're the same kind. Take that however you want to take it. I don't know, but it's been kind of exciting to see it happen. And it's like I believe that the Lord is doing something in reconciling relationships, healing, um, healing, uh, not just physically, but inner healings. I think over the, the time that we've gone, there's been a lot of... Um, Wounds and hurts and things that have happened. I've heard of family separations over issues, um, different things that have taken place. And I've lately been hearing of reconciliation of families, people coming back together, um, you know, just healings that are happening in in people's lives and their innermost being. I've seen that within my own life. I felt that within my own life. And uh, I'm going to talk today about the Word of God. I want to speak about the Word of God today. And before I do, I have a confession to make which is something that um, is rare for me. Uh, it's in the form of an apology, actually. And I, um, it was years ago when I was speaking. I don't exactly remember. I actually remember the right date, the right time, or anything like that. And I was preaching, and I was caught up in, in a moment. And uh, I was talking about Noah and the flood. How many remember that sermon? It was a disastrous sermon. It, it, it reaped um, horrible uh, ramifications. It was like a, it released a flood in itself of its own kind. And I was preaching away, and I, I, uh, the Lord had been revealing something in my heart about Noah's flood. And at that time, there, there were different teachings that had come around that I was, uh, I was looking at and reviewing and putting on the back burner and stuff. And it was about how God doesn't kill people. He doesn't destroy things. He doesn't do any of that. And so during this, this message about Noah's flood, I, I heard myself saying, God did not cause the flood. It was man that caused the flood because man rejected the authority that God had, had given to him. And uh, what I did is contradicted the Bible in that statement. I, I reaped the ramifications of that over, the, over time. And I'm confessing today that I was in error to make that kind of a statement. You don't remember it? Thank God for the grace on your ears. You were either, you were either sleeping that morning or you weren't here. But thank God for the grace that's there. But... I, I realized that um, I realized it created not only a lot of confusion, it was a statement um, more than a question. And I, I have found myself over the years, I've preached many statements, not questions. And I have questions myself about the things of God. And I think as soon as we let our questions interpret 
Scripture interpret the Word of God the way we think they, that God is, the way we think God should be, as opposed to what is written, we're, we, we start heading down uh, troubled waters. And uh, like that, literally, that word created a lot of troubled waters <laughs> for good reason. But at the time, I was too... I was too defensive. I felt like my idea was right, that it was, it, I mean, after all, it was man's decision that caused the floods to come in the first place because he rejected God and God's ways. And out of all of humanity at that time, there was one man who was righteous. His name was Noah, and he built an ark for 120 years with all the ridicule and everything else that everybody else around was throwing at him. Um, but clearly the Bible indicates that God caused floods to come upon the earth and open up the, wa- open up the ground so that the waters can come through. And so at that point in time, and, well, it took, me, it took me years to get to this place of, of admitting I made a mistake. Is it hard for anybody else to admit you've made a mistake? <laughs> it's really hard for me. I mean, I, we studied the Enneagram, and it's like eights have the hardest time apologizing that they made a mistake. Because we think everything we do is right. I clearly made a mistake, and I want to go on public record about that and, and just let you know that I've, the Lord has been dealing with me over, over time, over that thing of how to get around this. And there's no other way to get around it other than apologize and say I'm sorry. And that, um, oh, thank you so much. You guys are so, I mean, if I didn't know you were going to forgive me, I probably wouldn't apologize. <laughs> But I love the Word of God, I really do. And I felt like my uh, personal understanding, my personal interpretation was bleeding over into uh, things that I I clearly do not understand about what is written about him. In in my mind, it, it defies the goodness of God, the good nature of him. How can he wipe out the world in a flood? And in my own mind and in my own understanding, I'm trying to help him out, right? By saying he didn't do it. It was people that did it. And, and what I meant by that, and just in case you missed that message, and I'm not making an excuse after I just apologized. I'm not going to do that. But what I really meant was that God had actually given man authority over this earth. He had said, this is, this is now your garden. I'm handing it over to you. Take care of it. And man literally dropped the ball. And when he dropped the ball... The devil got in with sin and came in and corrupted the things of the earth. And instead of following after God like they should and looking to God like they should, they went their own way and they lost their authority over the earth. So um, that's where I was coming from, which is true, but it's kind of half true because the Bible says that God did cause the floods to come. And I, I still to this day... I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know it. But I'm at peace with it because I know who God is. I know he's in control, and I know that he, he's not affected by our crazy whims and wishes. He is who he is. He does what he does. And faith just embraces him and says, okay, we don't understand all that you are and all that you're about, but we embrace you and we say yes to you. So could you all forgive me just with a notable Yes. Some of you just refuse to say anything when you come to church. And that's scary. I'm looking out of you. But I see your head's nodding. It's okay. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was, the word was with God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And what that means is all of us on the earth, not just a select few. In him was life, and life is the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So as I said, my wife and I have been having dreams lately, and I I have had a dream. I've submitted it to the prophetic people of the church, and I'm waiting for an interpretation on it because Lynn had a dream that was very similar, the same kind. And so we we are uh, team players. We we know we're not the only ones that get things and understand things, and so we submit what what the Lord is showing us to our elders, and we've done that. And for some reason, it threw them into confusion, and now they're having a hard time understanding, interpreting the dreams themselves. I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're awesome. And uh, I can't wait for the interpretation, honestly. But I do feel that the, the, the summary of the dreams that we both have is that there's a new authority, a new level of anointing in, a, in our authority as believers that's coming to us. That I feel like we've gone through a season where we've been beaten down. We've been, uh, we've been tempted to believe that God no longer uh, is doing great things in the earth. The COVID came and took over everything and basically shut uh, the greatness of God down, which is an absolutely ridiculous, unfounded lie. And he is still in control. He's still the God that we look to. He's still the God that we believe in. And he's the word of God. And his word remains true for all generations. It's, It's like Jesus didn't just shine in the time that he walked on the earth. He still shines today. I feel like there is a there is a, a returning to the Lord that is coming. I, I I sense this in my spirit. I haven't seen it with my own eyes yet, in a sense that I've uh, tangibly seen it. But I sense that there is a returning to the Lord, that God is doing something. The Holy Spirit is moving and stirring His people to say, "Come." And His people are in return, like Revelation says, the Spirit. The spirit of the bride, the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come. There is this thing that is happening within us that is causing us to hunger and thirst after God more than we've ever witnessed in our time. I know it for my own life. I know it for others that I've talked to. But I sense that there's this movement that's coming. You're all familiar with the Yasbury Revival by now. And I sense that something is happening across this world today where uh, the, what can I say, where the sickle is being laid to the harvest field, that the Lord is sending his angels with his sickle to, to um, cut the wheat, to harvest the world. I've, I've heard prophecies of a billion-man revival, billion-man uh, uh, revival at the end of the age, and I believe that we're going to probably see more than a billion people coming into the kingdom of God. And it's not a matter of uh, makes us more popular or makes us more acceptable. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got everything to do with what God is seeing from heaven and how he's, he's bringing heaven down to earth. And things are beginning to shake and rattle. And I know if you read the news and if you see things that are going on out there in the world right now, you're going to probably see opposite of what I'm saying right now. But God is on the move. He is doing deep inner works in all humans. Not just the church. Everybody experiences inner turmoil of the shakings of God. And everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And all that will remain is God. 
The light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This darkness John speaks of is a spiritual blindness. It's a darkness caused by evil that impacts humanity to not acknowledge God. The dark evil promotes varied opinions about God, which contain just enough disinformation to keep people disinterested or disengaged from connecting with God's love. Jesus came to redeem humanity. Evil does not want humans to believe that. And so the God of this age blinds minds, keeping our hearts connected to Jesus. The word causes us to walk in victory. And I believe this is really where I believe that there's something stirring with the word of God, too, with the Bible. Like, I'm falling in love with the Bible all over again. It's like this thing, I love this book. This book is a cherished book. um, I would encourage you to read... um, uh, Psalms 20 to, to Psalms 30 this week, this upcoming week. Just stay in that book. Just stay in, that, in those chapters. Read them. Let the Word of God wash over you. Let His Spirit do stuff inside of you with those, those verses because there's some powerful verses within there. But I believe that he, we have a gift, people. To church, we have been given a gift called the Bible. It's a gift to us. And it's, it's a gift to us in, in uncertain times. It's a gift when things seem to be shaking in your lives. I, I, I don't know how else to say this than to say it. I will not, in my own reading, in my own life, I will not entertain any negativity towards God's word. I just won't. I won't entertain the idea that it's been misinterpreted, that it's been added to, that it's been subtracted from, that people have changed it over the years. My faith will not allow me to veer off from this very important book. And it's not just about staying safe. It's about life. The word of God is living. It is breathing. It is operating. It is not just good for the generation that it was written to. It is good for every generation that follows. And I believe that we need to, we, we need to just enjoy it and we need to revel in it. And we need to experience, we need to experience the inspiration that, that comes from it because it is inspired. It is, it, it's, it's like breathed by God. And men that were inspired wrote down the scriptures so that we could be encouraged to stand up and walk straight. And I believe, I really believe this. There are things in there that we don't understand And I don't think God is worried about us and those things. I think he's just quite content to be God. And I think that he also throws in, I think he also throws in our ways stumbling blocks, not him himself, but there are stumbling blocks in our ways of walking to where we don't see the path clearly. And it's like, he's, he's just looking to us saying, will you trust? Will you follow? Will you believe? Will you have faith? Will you stand? Even though others don't stand with you, will you stand and believe and make declarations that I've given you in your heart to make? John 1, 9 to 13 says, There was the true light coming into the world and enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But... As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Now, this comes from the Bible. 
This we're reading this from the Bible as it is, and it's a how many know it's a wonderful scripture. We're we're children of the living God. We 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 belong to Him. He's given us a new name. You know, Romans says we've been adopted. Uh, uh, John three says we've been born again into the kingdom of God. Okay. But as many as received him became the children of God. And we love these scriptures. We hang on to these scriptures of promises. But if there's something that contradicts that in the Bible, not contradicts that in the Bible, but says it maybe a little bit different, and we understand it, interpret it to mean that we're not really God's children. We're disobedient children or the dark sheep of the family or, you know, sinners saved by grace or whatever. And this kind of a thing that goes on inside of us where the, the darkness is trying to blind our, our eyes from approaching the goodness of God. If we believe those things, well, what do I mean to say? It's easier to believe that we're children of God, right? It's easy to believe that. Those are promises that God has given us. We believe that. If there are another promise that seemed not to exactly say that, like, okay, let's say, let's say we, we make a mistake and we sin. As a pastor, I make a mistake, and I say something about God, okay? That doesn't make me a disobedient person. It doesn't make me someone who has gone away from God. It just makes me human like the rest of you. Right? Trust me, I've cut my finger and I bleed. If you cut your finger, you'll bleed. We, we bleed. We hurt. We have pain, all of us. We're in this together. I go to the bathroom, just like all you guys go to the bathroom. I have stuff that comes out, doesn't smell good all the time. All right, my wife is telling me, move on, get off of it. But we are all in this together. And there might be in this room, there might be things that uh, you read through scriptures that you don't understand. And there might be things that I read through scripture that I understand. We might be reading the same thing. We have different understanding about it. And so we're able to get together and we're able to talk. We're able to con- converse about it. We're able to talk about it. And talk is a good thing. It's, it's really a wonderful thing. It's wonderful to have questions. Okay? But it's also even more wonderful to get wisdom after you have the questions. You see, we've been given a great opportunity here in this time on this earth for this season to walk hand in hand with Jesus Christ, to walk hand in hand with him, to, to have uh, three wonderful ladies in the church pray healing over those that need healing. This is an opportunity. We get to take this opportunity. It's not just an exercise that we do because we read about it and we're supposed to do this. It's an exercise because we understand the nature and the goodness of God, that he wants to heal everybody. He doesn't, he's not the author of sickness. He wants to heal us. We have, we know these things because they're written. And there are things that are written that we might not quite Understand, and we might not know, but that doesn't discredit what is written. In other words, you can't discredit part of the Bible 
and accept another part. You've got to accept the whole. And you have to do it by faith a lot of times in the goodness and the nature of God, knowing that he is who he is and we are who we are, and we just accept our place and our position and we walk it out. Does this make any sense to anybody? I feel like I'm saying, I feel like I'm back in a Noah message again. And it's just my feelings, I guess. Oh, God, I hope I don't have to apologize down the road again for this message. But in the very beginning as well, God creates man. He creates the earth. He creates all creation. And there's a serpent that's standing at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent asks this question, did God really say? And he asks it because he's, he's wanting to plant a question in Adam and Eve. And he's wanting to divide them from having fellowship with God and walking with God. And that's the whole scheme. The whole scheme of the enemy is to plant doubt within God's people, within the human race, that God isn't really all that good. But Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he was speaking of himself when he mentions the truth. And he was speaking to us when he said, you shall know. And I love these two statements because you shall know the truth. And he's speaking of himself. I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but my me. You want, you want, to, know, you want to know something? As long as people believe that there are many ways to God... Darkness will continue to keep them blinded and missing out on the encounter with the living God. It's a scheme of the enemy. Jesus didn't say religion was the way to God. He didn't say religion was the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amazing. And yet, do we want to change that? I mean, and I can just hear the enemy say, did he really say that? Well... And that kind of like isolated statement, you know, and selective kind of thing. I don't know. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And it is written so. And I believe, I believe it. And the God of this age who wants to blind the minds of people don't want them to see that because once they see that, they have an encounter with the living God. Once you have an encounter with the living God, hey, man, they ain't no going back after that point. It's like you're changed. Your life has changed forever. And you, you got a, a point of no return going on right now because it's like you're looking straight ahead, not in your rearview mirror. Not until this is the power of Jesus Christ to take a person who's so confused and so lost and so mixed up and immediately the light comes, a light of Jesus comes into their life, and they're completely changed. And from that point, there's, going, there's no going back. John the Baptist sees Jesus, and, he, and, and the next day after Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and he, he, he sees Jesus, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole earth. Now, what that changes, it's like you've you got to see this because John the Baptist was in a time of change. He was in a time of reformation. It's like the old, he was the last of the old, New Te- or the old Old Testament prophets. He's in a major change. There's a shift going on inside of him. He's like, 
There's something stirring. Something big is happening. I don't understand it all. And then suddenly he sees Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole earth. And immediately he makes a statement. The old covenant could only temporarily remove sin. That's why they had to go into the temple. The high priest went into the Holy of Holies every year. He made atonement for the sins of God's people, sprinkled blood on the mercy seat, came out, and every year they had to repeat that because it was only a temporary lifting. It was a covering, so to speak, of the sins of the people. It was not a permanent takeaway. John the Baptist sees the change coming in Jesus, and he said, this is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the whole earth. This is him. This is Jesus. The lamb that will take away the sins of the whole earth. Hebrews describes that Jesus, the sacrifice on on the cross, Hebrews describes that it was a one-time sacrifice. It happened one time, and the work was finished. It's the grace of God by which we are saved. Not any works by ourselves. There's not a single person in this room who can claim to be more holy and holy enough to save themselves. Maybe I'm an exception, but. (laughs) I'll have to apologize for that too, I'm sure. But that one sacrifice, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on the cross, finished sin from winning. It it finished the game for sin. It was the nail driven through the hands and the feet of Christ that finished sin from having its way on the earth. Jesus said in John chapter 14, 23, he said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and I will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. This is a powerful uh, reference to what Jesus is saying. He's promising the Holy Spirit to come who brings to memory to all those things that Jesus Christ has done. And after Jesus Christ died and after he was resurrected and he went away, the apostles sat down with pen and paper and praying and, and getting before the Lord. And they begin to write and they begin to write the things that Jesus did and begin to spell out the testimony within, within their letters. And the letters that they, that they wrote are the Bible that we have today. And they're eyewitness events of people that see Jesus when they walk and what he did and all that happened. These guys followed him closer than anybody else in the face of the earth. And they write about the testimony. They write about the witness. They, they put it down so that we can, we can find out You ever wonder what happened if we didn't have the Bible? Would we know? How would we find out? Would it be word of mouth? How much much, um, through word of mouth got lost over the years? And yet they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and they revived a lot of the scriptures that they didn't have before. And they've been able to put things together so that we can actually enjoy the benefits of knowing who God is. And we can actually get close to him. Jesus said, you are already clean 
because of the word that I have spoken to you. Oh, hallelujah. Could you stand up with me together? Are you clean because of the word that I have spoken to you? Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Just put your hand right here on your heart and just say that because of the words of Jesus, I am clean. Now you can sit down. That was good exercise. I'm almost done. Second Corinthians three seventeen to eighteen. Salt, Paul sits down, probably in a pin, uh, prison cell, and he sits down and he writes this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Lord, the Spirit. Wow. You see, there still exists this tension in the world, right? Do you feel the tension? Do you, do, do you feel the tension there? Am I the only one that feels the tension? I'm feeling a lot of tension today. I don't know why. God help my feelers, right? But it's like there's this tension that exists. There's this tension that's going on. And it's just like there's evil behind the tension and there's good in the tension. If the Lord took away the sins of the earth, why is there still sin in the earth, right? Question. Woo! Question. Right? I have a a very simple explanation for that. The devil is a terrorist. As long as there's evil in this world, there's going to be that serpent standing at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, saying, did God really say? To throw confusion and to keep people blinded from having an encounter with God. The Bible describes the devil as a lion who goes about seeking those whom he may devour. But the Bible also describes Jesus as the lion of Judah, the king of kings. Guess which one wins? Oh, yeah. Second Corinthians 4, 3 to 7 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of uh, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservant for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, That's you and me. We are like earthen vessels. We bleed together. So that the surpassing greatness of the power of the will of God, or will be the will of God and not from ourselves. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16 says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us a sweet aroma and the knowledge of him in every place. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing.
John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you so that you may be in me and have peace in the world. In this world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And the conclusion, it was for freedom, freedom that Christ has set us free. Galatians chapter 5, 1. And then he says, stay, stay in that truth that brings freedom. Keep standing firm. Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Keep Jesus in your life because he will never leave you or forsake you. I mean, how do you overcome your various trials, right? How many, how many have had to overcome trials in your life? I've had to overcome trials. I just had to overcome a trial in my life this morning to apologize to you guys. That was a big thing for me. might not seem like a big thing to you, but it's a big, big, big thing for me. How do you overcome? How do you overcome the addictions? How do you overcome uh, if you have a habit of lying? How do you overcome if you have a, lie, a, a, a thing of getting depressed often? How do you overcome if you have this, this stuff that's always hanging on you and try to, try to knock you off your feet and try to get you out of faith? How do you overcome? You just keep hanging on to Jesus and you just keep going forward one step at a time. You don't look at your failures. You look at his success. You don't look at your downfalls. You look at his cross and realize he finished the work right there. And that's what faith does. Faith secures the testimony of the promises of God. Now, one last thing I want to share. I, I, I uh, was reading a book, reading a book um, this week. Um, and it's about uh, World War II, and it's about the battle just before the Battle of the Bulge. This is a rather long story. I'm going to read it so I don't do, I could tell it to you, but I think I'll do it injustice. I really do. I don't think I'll get all the details, but this is written really well to give all the details. Nancy France, December 8, 1944. Chaplain James O'Neill looks out of his window into the courtyard of an old military barracks. The temporary headquarters of General Patton's 3rd Army. It's raining heavily, just like it, it had been for uh, the last two months. O'Neill was followed. O'Neill has followed the 3rd Army through its campaigns in Africa and Italy. Now he's with Patton's forces in north, northeastern France. They've liberated the cities of Nancy and Metz. And one more push will take them across the Saar River into Germany. But they're stuck. The rain has washed away the roads, immobilizing Patton's tanks. The dense clouds and fog mean that there's no air support for his infantry. And every wasted day gives Hitler's forces a chance to regroup and prepare a counterattack. The phone rings. O'Neill lifts the receiver. It's General Patton. If we're to win this war, the general says, we have to do something about this rain. Does the chaplain have a good prayer for weather? You can almost hear the general saying this. O'Neill says, he'll check. <laughs> and he calls back in about an hour. He consults, he consults a few prayer books he has on hand, nothing. He'll have to write something for himself. He places a three-by-five-inch card in the battered typewriter and gets to work. The prayer he writes goes down in history. Almighty and most merciful Father, it begins, we humbly beseech thee to restrain this, uh, this immoderate rains and grant us fair weather for battle. It continues, the prayer continues with a plea, arm us with thy power so that we may crush the wickedness of our enemies and establish thy justice among the men and nations. An hour later, O'Neill presents the draft to Patton. 
The general scans the text, nods in approval, and signs the back of the car where the chaplain has added a Christmas message to the troops. He's about to leave when Patton asks him to sit down. He wants to talk. Patton, immaculately dressed as a crispy, in his crispy starch uniform, takes his place by the window. Tall and lean, his appearance reflects years of disciplined living. Watching the rain fall into the same courtyard O'Neill had been looking at earlier this day, he asked the chaplain a question. He wants to know how much praying is being done in the Third Army. O'Neill thinks for a moment, not much, he admits. And when they're fighting, everyone prays. But just now, when the, when the men are sitting around waiting for something to happen, not much. God feels a little bit more distant to them. They're used to thinking of prayer as something formal, a ritual, something that happens in a special building with a steeple and not a damp tent in a muddy field outside of Nancy, France. Patton listens thoughtfully before replying, and there are three ways or there are three ways we can get what we want in this life, he says. We can plan, we can work, and we can pray. Military operations take a great deal of planning. Then it falls to the well-trained soldiers to do the work, the fighting. But neither planning nor fighting alone guarantees victory. There's always an unknown factor, the human factor. It's how we respond when we are challenged in our work and find ourselves in the midst of a battle. That decides the course of events. That's the difference between success or failure. Some people say luck makes a difference. Sometimes you get a break, and that wins a battle. Others say it's psychological. What it really is, though, Patton concludes, is God. The Lord has, has his part in everything, and that's where prayer comes into the picture. Folks back home, the mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters of Patton's soldiers have done a lot of praying, he says. Their prayers have carried the Third Army through the deserts of North Africa, across the sea to Sicily, and up the spine of Italy, and into the forest of the northeastern France. Now, though, these men have to pray for themselves, just as Gideon turns to prayer in the Bible when he fights the Israelites' enemies. This is all Patton saying this. Now, in other words, if time to ask God to stop, it's time to ask God to stop these rains. <laughs> I just love this. How many of you have ever heard this story in, in history? Well, a couple of you? Now these men have to pray for themselves just as Gideon turns to prayer in the Bible when he fights the Israelites' enemies. Now, in other words, is the time for God to stop these rains. If we pray, Patton adds, it will be like plugging in on a current whose source is in heaven. Prayer completes the circuit with its prayer, with its power. With those words ringing in his ear, O'Neill returns to his office and writes out the final draft of what become known as, as training letter number five. Over 250,000 copies of prayer card are printed and distributed to the men with the Third Army on December 11, 1944. The timing is providential. On December 16th, with the rain still falling, Hitler's armies launch a massive counterattack against Allied troops in northeastern France and uh, Adrien's region of neighboring Belgium. They attack at lightning speed along the 88-mile front, pushing into what had recently been liberated territories. The Battle of the Bulge has begun. In southern Belgium, over 12,000 Allied troops led by Brigadier General Anthony McGluff are, are surrounded by a German army numbering over 50,000. McAuliffe refuses to surrender. His soldiers' only hope 
His soldier only help is a rapid counter-strike by the Third Army, but Patton reckons that he can only mobilize his forces if the clouds clear for around 24 hours. The rain, however, continues to fall until the morning, Christmas morning in 1944. It stops. The fog lifts. The sky is clear. It is a miracle. Not even the most optimistic weather reports forecasting anything like it. The day after Christmas, Patton's troops advance under wave after wave of Allied air support. On December 26th, they break through German lines and lift the siege of, of Bestoge. Even, even more miraculously, the good weather holds all the way into the late January. Finally able to deploy the full strength of their armor, the Allies are able to decide the Battle of the Bulge in their favor on January 28, 1945. Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he tells them this. It's a story, it's a parable about a persistent widow. And he tells his disciples this parable in order to encourage them to pray and never give up. The persistent widow. She goes before the unjust judge asking for mercy. And she gets it. We've had great, great heroes of faith fight for the faith to be where we sit today. Each in their own right, testimony after testimony of people who honestly, I, I would have to say, most, most of the people that are heroes were unknown and unsung heroes. Widows who prayed, men who prayed, children who prayed, so that we can enjoy the freedom that Christ brought for us. And now it's our turn. We get to pray, and we get to fight in faith so that others down the road can enjoy the freedom that we've enjoyed up to this time. Can you all stand together? I'd like you to do something uh, this morning. We haven't done this in a while. If you could just bridge the aisles and hold someone's hand next to you. We're going to pray and and close in prayer. Then we're going to have the prayer team come up. And prayer team is an amazing, amazing prayer team. They get testimonies all the time. I I love it when our, our prayer warriors gather because they gather in faith to pray in such a way that they actually believe God's going to hear them. I love it. Look at the person on your on your right. Tell them they're a child of God. Now look at the person on your left and tell them that. Tell them the same thing. Person on your left, you're a child of God. Father, thank you for a bunch of kids. We're all, we're all so different, but you're our father and you love us so dearly, Lord. And I just want to thank you that you love your children. You're not angry at anybody in this room. You're not mad. You're not like uh, just waiting for them to foul up again, but you have great hope for them. And 
You have great vision for them, and you see their successes in the future. You see the turns coming to their lives. We ask you in Jesus' name today that you would heal and that you would grant salvation to anyone who might not see who you are and, and see your goodness, Lord. I just think of your words as you hung on the cross and you said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. And I think of those words today having so much meaning. And we just release forgiveness over this earth, that your light would come and dispel the darkness. A supernatural, a supernatural invasion of a dark mind that can't see the light. It's a supernatural invasion where the light shines and they hear your voice from heaven saying, I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a great day. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit faithworship.org. Thank you.